Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Feels like we got our first relatively calm week in the 2021 men's Division I college tennis season. Of course, we almost saw our number one team in the country and last undefeated team remaining, North Carolina, knocked off. But somehow, as the great teams always managed to do, they found a way to survive against South Carolina. We're going to talk about that match. We're going to talk about the continued ascension of the Florida Gators as they get perhaps their most impressive win of the season. They knock off TCU. They sweep them at home. Of course, we also had victories throughout the SEC that caught our eyes. We had the Arizona Wildcats have a fascinating weekend of tennis. And then, of course, the Stanford Cardinal, a team both Matt Stachowiak and Chris Halioris were awfully high on heading into this 2021 season, beginning their campaign. They face the gauntlet of UCLA and USC. Joining me to talk about all of those results on today's podcast, as they always do whenever we're talking college tennis here at Cracked Rackets. Let's start where we always start. You know him as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, your favorite writer on our website, CrackedRackets.com, and of course, the other half of Baylor's Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot as always. We've got Miami Open this week. Fascinated to hear your thoughts on that draw, particularly given the lack of the big three on the men's side. But of course, another fascinating weekend of college tennis in the books. How are you feeling, my friend? Yeah, I mean, if uh, if this past week was uh, a relatively calm, as you stated, week, then uh, it's it was still pretty crazy. So I'll take it because uh, we still had plenty of good matches and um, lots of exciting stuff to talk about here. So um, yeah, maybe not as as crazy as some of these past few weekends, but uh, we still had plenty of action going on. Hey, I'm ready to do 15 minutes today on Michigan State's 4-3 win over Iowa. I texted assistant coach for Michigan State, Harry Jaden, after the victory. I was like, congrats, coach. Way to go. He called me finally after not returning my calls for five months for something we're not going to get into on this podcast, believe me. But I was like, Harry! Oh, I was so happy to talk with him. And it was just great to hear from him great to hear you know the state team 500 this year after going 0 and 11 in Big Ten play quietly a very nice season coming together in East Lansing but we don't have to break that down unless of course our other member of our college tennis holy trinity would like to do so let's bring him in now you know him as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, lover of almond joys, lover of mothers, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford. He has two shoulders back. And folks, he's rocking his mullet here tonight. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot as always. Do you want to talk with me for 10 minutes about state? I mean, the only thing I can say is Michigan State's just adding to the disaster the Big Ten rankings are going to be. <laughs> I mean, we take an already beaten down conference and hamper them even more. I mean, geez, that's the, the rest of the teams in the conference had to be going, oh, come on. We're going to get no <laughs> points for beating either one of those teams now. That's so funny. Um, 
Yeah, look, I want to talk about the rankings momentarily. I will just also quick question for you guys. If I said, you know, when you refer to a team as, oh yeah, I, I, we played state this weekend. Is it always just the state of the home state you're from? Like Maddie, when you refer to state, do you talk about NC state? Who in your mind is like, oh yeah, they played state this weekend. Well, yeah. I mean, people, if I'm talking to people around here, right. Yeah, I sure. mean, in, in my neck of the woods, yeah, of course, everyone refers to state being NC state Wolfpack, but yeah, no, I suppose if you're in Michigan, I mean, yeah, sure. It, it I was, just, it goes by state, right. It's state to state. I think so. I, I would agree with that. A hundred percent. I don't even need your opinion, professor. I think we just solved this in class, so we don't need to bring it to the teacher, but what we do need to bring to the teacher is our first topic of discussion here tonight. It is not a breakdown of any result. It is not a plug for our friends at Turner who make this podcast possible. Although, of course, if you need yourself some Turner Grips, you want to get in contact with them for a bulk order, perhaps contact the Turner Grip sales team at sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. Again, sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707 to get yourself in in the grouping, in the game really the ball game with turn to grip if you're not using turn to grip you're not doing it right uh, of course if you mention that crack racket sent you there you'll get some free samples our friends will take care of you so again sales at unique sports.com or 800-554-3707 with that out of the way the first topic we want to talk about is the announcement regarding the rankings and of course the rankings have been in flux all season long because a we didn't have an entirety of the 2020 season to reflect upon when making this year's preseason rankings. We also didn't have any fall play to help us sift through the individual rankings and help in any sort of mathematic way possible. And of course, uh, you know, the ITA has done their best given the circumstances. They've had an abbreviated coaches poll to dictate, you know, top 10, top 25. They did one individual singles and doubles poll, although I learned this week that individual rankings are coming down the line. Just be patient. They will have another edition of them later this season. But of course, they also announced that they are making a switch in the rankings moving forward. And this is where we bring in the professor, the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula, Chris Halioris. Let our listeners know the changes being made in the rankings and just talk us through, again, what are the big developments moving forward? Well, so starting this week, and that goes for both team and singles and doubles uh, coming out. Wednesday, which should presumably be the day this podcast is released, given that we're recording on Tuesday now. Um, so Wednesday, maybe even by the time you guys are listening to this, the rankings should be out, and those rankings will be 100% computer-based. There was talk amongst the ranking committee that they would run, use the computer rankings. They've been running computer rankings all month, the ITA has, and kind of observing and seeing what that's what it's done to some teams that haven't been able to play right I mean primarily we're talking about your West Coast and your Big Ten teams for the most part right they're the ones that have been the most limited in play if you will um, and the and the thought was uh, and even going into the weekend the committee had discussed running the computer rankings this week and then taking the outlier the known outliers and I'll just use for an example I don't know all of them but for example uh, Stanford, UCLA, Michigan, Ohio State. Teams probably that are better than where they're going to show in the computer rankings because they don't have the results yet. Uh, and they talked about taking those teams, discussing them and getting the committee to agree on 
how far to manually adjust them up in the rankings. For example, let's say UCLA was 60 in the computer rankings, which is probably Which is not, realistic, right? Yeah, which is probably not far off from where they might end up, right? That, that we may, we, we in all likelihood may not see them in the computer, the top 50 when it comes out. Uh, the, the, you know, the thought would be, hey, they're not that. Let's at least move them up to within, you know, give or take five spots. And this is before beating Stanford, give or take five spots of say 20, somewhere between say 15 and 25. Um, and that, that's what they were going to do. That idea eventually got nixed, never made it past the concept stage. And so they are going to roll with straight computer rankings. The thought from the committee being that every team in the nation was going to be able to get in uh, at least 15 dual matches, not counting the conference tournaments. So they'd have 15 matches plus their conference tournament and that that should be ample time to close existing gaps. That's, that's the reasoning uh, from the committee, if you will. So we can debate that reasoning, but that's, so that's what's going to happen is tomorrow those rankings come out as straight computer rankings. Well, let's debate that reasoning. And again, I appreciate your reporting on this. This is why we do call you the professor. Maddie. I apologize. I'm going to ask you to sit on the sidelines for just two more minutes, but I'm going to give you the first swing at uh, the at the pitch when we get there you talk about some of the changes don't wander off screen on me maddie i see you don't fall asleep on me it's not that late yet here on tuesday night but uh you know chris you talk about again debating the merits of this decision that 15 match limit let's talk about the let's just talk about the practicality of it we were joking around before you sent this message all weekend long sometimes i wonder if it's just to make me upset but i think it's legitimate now that i've actually looked through it all and obviously read through your reasoning the biggest impact in these rankings are probably on two conferences the big 10 and the pac-12 can you explain why that's the case to our listeners sure so so even though they may get 15 matches in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are primarily playing each other. The Pac-12's been a little more, I mean, they, they've not been limited to only that. Like the When Big you say Ten. each other, just quickly, they're playing interconference matches. In, yeah, intra-conference. So the or Pac-12, intra, excuse me, yes. The Pac-12 has played outside, but the Big Ten, outside of Illinois getting to play in the kickoff, uh, you know, the national indoors, the Big Ten is stuck playing intra-Big Ten, so they mm-hmm. only play each other which means the way the rankings work, right? You get points based off the teams you beat and the teams you beat get points off the teams they beat. When you only play in a pod of 12 teams or whatever the Big Ten is, there's there's not that much to get. When you haven't beaten anybody outside, mm-hmm. they're living off of the wins that Illinois got. And that's basically it. And they're beating up on each other. And to make it work, it gets more exacerbated in the Big Ten because the Big Ten, you know, Arguably, you've got Ohio State, Michigan, Illinois, a next tier of probably a Northwestern, and then it drops. I mean, really, after that, there's not a lot of points to be had. And so there's just no points for them. To, even if they play 15 matches, they're not getting a chance to get, you know, eight, nine quality wins in which you need for ranking purposes and those illinois wins over usc and virginia are now so invaluable even more so and we said it at the time but it's continued to prove correct for the rest of the conference you know what else is huge and correct me if i'm wrong the northwestern win over duke 
Like, I'm sorry. But I know Duke is nothing special this season. It's not that they're bad. They're just, you know, a top 50 ho-hum team. But Northwestern beating them is everything for the conference because you just need ranked wins. And, you know, Duke, just by proxy, is going to have shots at Wake Forest, at UNC, at Virginia. And if they can even get one win in any of their matchups against those teams, it helps the entire conference, especially those top three teams with big aspirations come May. But look, again, we're all just thankful that there is college tennis moving forward. Maddie, your tank, your take, not your tank, excuse me. You are a tank, but give me your takes on these rankings adjustments. And again, just the impact on the Big Ten, Big 12. Are you disappointed with the, given the adjustments that are going to be have to made, given they're going to have to make manual adjustments, why not just keep it manual for this season would be the other line of argument, right? Yeah, I I think everybody just wants to get it right. You know, I mean, just in sports in general, you know, you always hear debates, right, about, you know, whether it's line calls in tennis and BCS. Do we need a BCS on clay? The BCS and, you know, oh, we're watching, you know, March Madness basketball games in the last two minutes. The refs go to the monitor eight times and it takes the selection committee. The selection committee, I mean, this gets debated like in every single sport everywhere. And at the end of the day, I think fans just, we want it to be right. And I just want the rankings to be correct. And you have to look at it two ways, right? Because, you know, if you're a Michigan, if you're a Stanford, if you're a UCLA, you're going, wait a minute. We're not even ranked in the top 50. Like, this is BS. Come on. What what are we doing? And then you also have to look at it, though, from the perspective of the teams that are ranked higher. They don't want to see those teams ranked so low because that's dangerous for them as well. Like, I think everybody just wants the rankings to be accurate. And this season, if you write off the computer rankings, like Chris mentioned, like a lot of those teams just aren't going to have opportunities to get that they need to and we know that they're going to be better than where they're ranked I don't think even the highest ranked teams are going to like that seeing Stanford outside the top 50 and Michigan at 40 or 40 you know whatever like that's not totally accurate and I get it like it's got to be simple we can't spend hours and out you know nitpicking every little thing at some point you just have to let it ride But we'll see. I mean, we haven't actually seen these rankings yet. They haven't come out yet. So let's wait a couple weeks. Let's revisit this, you know, maybe mid-April. And and we'll talk about this again and just see where we're at. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to follow for the rest of the season for sure. You nailed it there. I mean, knowing our luck, we're going to have an NCAA first round of Michigan versus Baylor. Like, it's just going to happen, Maddie. Just yeah, and who, like, I don't think anybody wants no, that. No, I mean, completely it, agree. Well, it would be a fun match. Yeah, don't except for Chris. Wrong. Chris, Chris is pointing at Yeah. Well, and honestly, it would be fun. There's a lot of people that would want to tune into that. But if you're Michigan Can't or we Baylor. we just save it for the round of 16? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, we want the matches to be, you know. I mean, when they're supposed to be played. So that's the only thing that I'm a little bit worried about. And again, it's not just the teams that are going to be under the Michigans that should be worried about this. It's also the higher ranked teams that should be worried about this because it affects them too. Yeah, no, I think that's, again, 100% correct. You nailed it. And my final, I want to give Chris the final word on this to offer his opinion. Also, one more question for you because... You know, I've talked to some people and it does feel like there's going to be a manual component to these rankings 
moving forward the rest of the year. I'm curious if you have heard similar, Chris, if that's how you're feeling. And then ultimately, as long as there is that manual input to correct for any computer errors, overlooks, whatever it may be, uh, your, just what system you would go with. Yeah, there will be no manual adjustments, Kraskin. Uh, that that was that was what they were working on, and going into this weekend, the committee was planning on making those manual adjustments, and that's what got nixed. They they just they never got to final agreement on that. So it will be straight computer rankings, no manual adjustments. Now, you know what I'll say is, people are going to get probably a little more up in arms initially over the rankings because the first several weeks. You will see teams like UCLA, like Stanford, like Cal, like that, that are going to not even going to get a sniff of the top 50. But what is going to happen is once those teams start to get the wins over other Pac-12 teams that give them points. So if they can beat an Arizona or an Arizona State, it will help that conference greatly because they played a lot of non-conference matches and got some good points. They start to go. It will snowball, and so you're going to see like a Stanford, let's say, or a, you know, or it could be a Cal or a UCLA go from out of the rankings to really, really fast accelerating up towards, you know, up higher. The problem for the Big Ten is it, those chances just aren't there. Like Illinois is the only team with the big non-conference wins. That's it. So they don't have those opportunities to get those other points. There are no other teams with non-conference wins to get, get points off of. So they can only get them from each other. That's really the conference. I think the Pac-12 will be better suited to help themselves out and make up for it. The Big Ten will probably suffer. But look, let's be honest. Like Maddie, we, we all want to get it right. We know there's going to be some, some issues. This is not going to prevent anybody from making the tournament that could have won the tournament. Might it prevent a team that could have been number 41 that would have gotten in in a normal year? And this year in the Big Ten, they end up not being number 41 because of that? Yes, that's possible. So, you know, if you take a look at teams like, you know, whoever that next tier of Indiana's and, and et cetera's are, Iowa's, maybe that happens to someone like that. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just kind of something that we're going to have to live with. But I do think the Pac-12 will be better suited to make up for some of that time. The Big Ten will just probably struggle a little more to get those back. I I should have restated it. I think if the rankings become a significant issue, they will re-examine manual adjustments. That's the point I was trying to make. If there's not, if there's a huge competitive imbalance, they will address that. And I, I do think that that's what I'm trying to say is moving forward, yes, you're right. There will be no manual adjustments, but they are banking on the computer system working. Only time will tell to your points if it will. With that in mind, Let's talk about a little tennis because enough arbitrary concept. We saw some results out on the court and was it the most consequential result of the week? Probably not, but it was the result that had our group chat buzzing the most. It was the result that had tennis Twitter buzzing in corners. It doesn't always buzz as number one ranked North Carolina undefeated on the season playing South Carolina, I believe for the third time on the year, they go 
to South Carolina. They take a 3-0 deficit, dropping the doubles point and then dropping the number one and number four single spots from Will Blumberg and Brian Cernock. And if I had told anyone who follows college tennis that North Carolina dropped doubles, they dropped Blumberg, they dropped Cernock, you'd say, oh, wow, they suffered their first loss of the season. And all three of us were thinking it, particularly when South Carolina's Philip Jordan had five match points, I believe. In Is it five or four? Is it four? Is it four? Five. It's five. five. It's five. Yeah, Maddie's just shaking his head in disgust. I thought he was shaking his head angry at me. Five match points did Philip Jordan have against Simon Sondergaard in the second set. But Sondergaard, as he has all season long, He's just got the juju going for him right now. He fights those match points off, takes the second set 7-6, takes the third set 6-2. Josh Peck, meanwhile, after dropping a 6-2 second set, bagels Jake Beasley in the third 6-love. That's point number two. Rinki Hijikata was the one straight set winner on the day for North Carolina, earning a 2-4 and four victory. And then Ben Seguin, who's dealt with injuries all season long. He has he continues to be a bit banged up, but he has just enough in the tank. 6-2-4-6-6-3 victory over Connor Thompson to clinch the dual match for the Tar Heels. Maddie, you're our SEC correspondent. Again, five match points down, dual match points was Simon Sondergaard at six singles. Josh Peck had lost the second set. Seguin had lost the second set. All signs were pointing towards South Carolina. How'd the Tar Heels do it? Well, this is really pretty simple, guys, uh, the way that this played out. I mean, North Carolina rolled into this match. They've already beaten South Carolina, uh, you know, a couple times, and and they felt good, right? I don't know if they went into this completely, you know, as prepared as they really should have been. Um, I don't think they were laser focused. You could tell in the doubles that they didn't come out that way. And this was just a simple case of, you know, two of the best players on the team and Will Blumberg and Brian Cernock, who we almost always pencil in as automatic victories almost every time. They just, they were not feeling it. They didn't show up uh, to play, um, you know, on the weekend and, and they lose in straight sets. And that's, what's going to happen. You know, when you're, team that's a very very good team in South Carolina obviously not that elite um you know top five team in the country or even top 10 for that matter but they're still very good you know playing the SEC and then you know it comes down to the fact that hey South Carolina just didn't have the stones to pull it off I mean like you mentioned they had every opportunity to do it but the door just kept cracking open and if you're going to give these guys that opportunity look Rinky you mentioned it, Gruskin. He wins in straight sets. No problem with him. Josh Peck, yeah, maybe he played a bad second set. He loses at 6-2. But he's like, okay, well, you're going to leave the door open here. You don't shut the door on Simon down there on 6. Well, then I'm coming back. I'm going to win 6-0. That's what we do here. Simon, hey, uh, you can't close me out. I'll win the third set. That's fine. You had five match points, whatever. Um, and then, of course, Ben Seguin, that's, you know, that's a match that I think we would all expect him to win. And he did the same thing. It's just South Carolina cracked that door open and they left it open. And UNC said, okay, well, if you're going to leave that door open, we'll take it. I, I don't know if this says more about North Carolina come back because to me I don't really know how impressive that is I mean I know they were down 3-0 it, it looks like an epic comeback but to me god South Carolina had a glorious 
opportunity here to knock off the number one team in the country when they didn't show up. North Carolina didn't show up and play their best tennis, and they still couldn't pull it off. That had to be a bitter pill to swallow. I don't even want to know what those guys were feeling, you know, in the locker room after that match. No, first formal loss of the season for Blumberg, second formal loss of the season for Cernak. The craziest part, Sondergaard now 6-0 in dual matches, 3-0 at five singles, 3-0 at six singles with his national indoor performance and then just his ability to scrap his way here. That's one of the big lineup question marks in uh, for these UNC Tar Heels. As of now, Sondergaard seems to have answered that question that maybe he is the guy and it's not always going to be the prettiest tennis, but it does seem to be working. To your point, uh, just quickly to, to finish off the UNC side, because the a big story here is South Carolina. And for that, I want to bring you in here, Chris. But, you know, how often do we talk about it? Doubles, Blumberg, Cernok, find one more. Well, this time it was, no, we need everyone except Blumberg, Cernok, and doubles. And they all came through. And it's still early enough in the season where this is the sort of confidence-inspiring win that gets very interesting for those other Tar Heels. We're never going to love Josh Peck at five singles, but he's been pretty effective. Like, he's he usually gets the job done for the Heels at a minimum. He steals a set. We're never going to love Sondergaard at six, but he has been undefeated for them this season now, the flip side, of course, as Maddie mentioned, is this is a match where, yeah, it did feel like UNC was asleep for the first two hours and that they were able to steal it as a testament to them. But, Chris, this is where you come in. Ugh. Ugh. Crushing for the Gamecocks. Uh, I mean... I think this is their sixth... I, by I, the way, this is their sixth match, I think, in the past six months of men's college tennis. Yeah, I mean, clearly, we we all know, right? I, I'm the SEC guy. You know, all all things aside, I want my SEC teams to win. I wanted to see South Carolina pull off the big upset. Not only do I love upsets, but I I pull for the SEC, right? So I'm watching that. I'm unable to watch the video because I'm actually, you know, posting updates with humorous from from down at Lipscomb. Uh, you know, watching on the top of the parking garage match there, and uh, as I'm doing that. I see that Jordan has given up the 30, 42 breaks to, cl to, to clinch, doesn't get it. Then he goes up 40, 15 serving. And I tweet out the fact that he, you know, he's up 40, 15 and doesn't get him. And I immediately get messaged in, in Twitter. Hey, you buried the lead. Sondergaard passed him three times in a row. I know it was unbelievable. So, so which makes me feel a little better, right? I mean, I, I hate to see in a match like that, you feel like you had it. I hate for a kid to come away from it thinking, man, I choked. And from the side of it, Jordan didn't necessarily choke. I mean, he played his game. He came to the net. He got passed. Um, I mean, I can't, you know, I obviously can't validate how good the approaches were or anything else. But, you know, he came in and Sonder, and I did see the one that you posted the video of, Sondergaard into the deep forehand corner getting by him. I mean, that was a great pass. Uh, so... So yeah, I mean it's yeah, all in all, just it is heartbreaking to think you were you were that close for for South Carolina. But uh, you know, the one thing I will say is I I'll take a little bit of exception to what you said in that I'll agree with half of it. I will never love Josh Peck at five. I love Simon Sondergaard at six right now. I mean, he's just everything he's doing is and at six, and I still remember seeing him 
two or three years ago, whenever it was that indoors was at Virginia, I think that was 2017, uh, watching him play there. And he was, I don't know, he was like maybe four or something in their lineup. Then he was playing higher then. When he was a freshman, he was playing three, he played Carl Soderlinton. Don't ask. Come on. It was a Virginia yeah, match. I yeah. remember it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I know. And, you know, and his, he can play six singles if he's, you know, if he's in shape and he's focused, he, that's, that's a great spot for him. And he looks really good playing in that spot right now. And I almost feel like sometimes it's, it's a, it's a little bit, he knows he can win and maybe doesn't, you know, lets it get a little too or go longer than it really needs to. But I think he's going to be a rock for them all year at six. And if, and if he is because of what we've already talked about with, you know, doubles, Blumberg, Cernock, I mean, it's just that that's going to make these guys so much harder to beat. And the fact that they South Carolina couldn't get it done here, you know, it's not going to be long before we start counting who's got the chance to knock them off before they run the table and get into the NCAAs without losing a match. Oh, I, it, this felt like the moment. And of course they still have the Virginias. They still have Wake Forest. They still have NC state and all these other different ACC foes who are going to push them. But South Carolina had the match point. They weren't two points away. They weren't a game away. They were one point away on five different occasions, just weren't quite able to get over the finish line. Again, champions rise, and that's what North Carolina was able to do. They stay undefeated. I will say selfishly, I was pretty excited that they didn't lose, that I didn't have to adjust my rankings, that I was just like, whew, they survive another week undefeated. I don't have to think about it. I can just throw them at number one and feel good. Uh, But again, heck of a fight from those South Carolina Gamecocks. With that in mind, let's move on to our next team, a team we're still wondering, what exactly does this team look like? How good can they be here this season despite having one of the youngest rosters in the country? Of course, I'm referring to the Stanford Cardinal, who really screwed up our Crack Rackets top 10 rankings for the preseason when Matt and Chris had them like number five. And I think I had them like 11 or something. And you guys were like, no, I'm telling you with Ferry and Boyer and Geller and Rothstart and everything, they're going to be a top five team. And that opportunity is still out there. But of course, unfortunately, due to circumstances outside of all of their control, uh, Stanford didn't open until later in the year. And then various players had to jump through COVID protocols. And so they really weren't able to get going here until this month and you know this weekend they faced their first serious test as they had to face the LA gauntlet UCLA USC and unfortunately you know that's not a matchup that's not a weekend you would ask for any young team still trying to find its legs and look those two veteran Trojan and Bruin squads both able to knock off the young Cardinal for UCLA they're able to come back after dropping the doubles point earning straight set wins at five singles six singles and then the number one singles position Smith one in five over Axel Geller before Govin Nanda back in action for the Bruins. And I forgot to text you guys last week. I found out he had been training with Jensen Brooksby up at uh, that academy. I think the academy is in Northern California, uh, just training and getting ready. But he had always intended on returning for the season. And he was back in action this week. Now, he and Keegan Smith split up in doubles but Nanda able to clinch for them at the number two singles position, 466262, giving UCLA a huge win. Now, you know, 
they played these matches, I believe, on back-to-back days. That Stanford-USC match happened today, uh, and the Stanford-UCLA match happened yesterday, of course. Given they're a young team still finding their legs to ask them to play back-to-back was always going to be a tough challenge. Of course, that's just what they have to do now, uh, given how where we're at in the season. But USC took it to them today, and they flexed their muscles. They had their full lineup. They earned the doubles point wins at one and two doubles, Kukerman, Smith, Dostinich, Fry, and then they get straight set wins. One and one from Fry at number four singles, one and five from Dostinich over Ferry at three. Then Kukerman, seven, five, two love retirement from Axel Geller, who I know uh, was in COVID protocols and wasn't able to get much practice time in until these past, I think, really 14 days. Uh, I'll go to you first here, Maddie. Your reaction to the, a tough opening weekend, really, for the Cardinal. Yeah, well, it wasn't good. I mean, it was it was quite bad, but you know, it's it's almost hard to like expect these guys to come out again. That's no, was tough... it quite bad? Like, I feel like the UCLA is sneaky good. Sorry to cut you off immediately, but for for Stanford in a first match to play him that close, win the doubles point. Yeah, I mean, okay, I apologize. You're shaking your head. Five and six, man, the depth. Look, you look at yeah. one and two. Okay, Keegan Smith and Govan Nanda. We know that they're as good as any. So I'm not surprised by the results up top, but man, the depth, I thought that's where Stanford was really going to shine this year. Those lower positions, four, five, six, they have so many guys, um, you know, and we didn't even see everybody like Sangi Shridhar didn't play either of these matches. I don't really know where he's been, if he's healthy or, or what's going on with him. That's another guy that I thought we would see in the lineup, but Really what was shocking to me more than anything was just the depth for UCLA to get wins at five and six, you know, easily. Um, that just, that was a little bit puzzling to me. But again, you look at it and you're like, man, how much can we really expect out of Stanford? I mean, they just started playing. They haven't really been practicing. So these were just tough matchups for them that, you know, they probably just flat out weren't going to win no matter what I mean you can't ask them to go to UCLA to go to USC and back-to-back days you know it's not good you know the results weren't good it doesn't look good but what really more could we have expected I don't know That's fair. I think the concerning thing for them, or the thing I suppose not to be concerned about is, you know, Geller and Roth start 0-4 on the weekend in their respective singles matches. That's going to get better. Just give them time to get their legs under them. Ferry Boyer right now lining up at 3-4 and four singles. They're both freshmen. They go 1-1 one one on the weekend. And I think that's always when you're who you're asking to play back-to-back matches. The freshmen, it was always going to be toughest. I mean, Tristan Boyer, uh, cracked racket doesn't do it justice. He annihilated it. He treated that, that racket disrespected his mother, apparently. And so he just had to, you know, annihilate it, destroy it, break it into a million pieces. But I mean, he got whooped today, one and one against Bradley Fry. And that match was never close. I thought Ferry, you know, he was down 5 4. Dostinich served for the second set today. He actually broke Dostinich back. Uh, uh, but then Dostinich was able to get that break right back immediately. And I, I don't hate Ferry's game. He plays aggressive. It reminds me a little bit of a young Styler. It's just kind of just wait for him to find his legs under him. But they don't have time to find their legs. NCAA start in like six weeks, Chris. So again, does this weekend tell you more about the Stanford team or perhaps more about the Trojans and the Bruins? I don't know. I mean, 
clearly Stanford is just not ready to go yet, right? Yeah. I mean, the the UCLA match was competitive, uh, uh, and I, you know, it was a good match. I think we expected a little more from Stanford. Was I, to, you know, totally surprised? No. But today, I mean, 7-0 against USC, and I mean, they won what one set, two sets. Absolutely. Let's, well, let's keep in mind, this is a USC team without more bullets, much like it was at National Indoors, where they went 0-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they beat Stanford. So, yeah, you can't feel, I mean, you can't feel great coming out of this weekend if you're Stanford. At the same time, like you said, they know they've had guys that haven't been able to put the time in, aren't ready, and just got thrust into... Uh, hey, so you've had a couple of days of practice. Let's go play two matches against some of the better teams in the country. And, you know, you kind of have a, you have a feeling how that's probably going to turn out. You're hoping it's not that way, but yeah, in the end, that's how it turned out. So I, I do think that's a, it's a really good sign for UCLA. We finally get to see Govin Nanda back, right? We hadn't seen him uh, yet. UCLA hadn't really, other than the, you know, they had their two matches with USC, but we haven't really gotten to see them get into, you know, their good matches for the season yet. So that's a very good sign, uh, very good sign for UCLA. And you look, USC is just good. So, so we know they'll be all right. So I may not be ready to say what I think the bottom of the Stanford lineup should look like, but for UCLA now, I mean, with Nanda back at two, with Baird solidifying the ship at three, and Goldberg and Soloki, and just all the different options, you know, they have at the bottom of their lineup as well, and Fiat, and, you know, again, all these different players. This is a good win for UCLA, and I know they're going to get screwed by the rankings, but they're better than this season than I think we thought coming into it. Well, where do we think they were coming into the season? Well, they season? beat Stanford. I mean, they beat we Stanford didn't see that Stanford's first match. Well, no, but we, we didn't true, also know true. that Stanford but they also wasn't going to play. That's true, but they should have beaten USC, right? They really should have beaten USC in that match. They had Jake Sands on the ropes. And, yeah, it was a couple of Zaraj, uh, we'll say questionable perhaps choices, but, like, they they were very close to winning that match. Yeah, I mean, for me, no matter where UCLA gets ranked at the end of the year, they're going to be a dangerous turn team because, and here's one thing that I'll say as well, I was disappointed that coach Billy Martin split up Keegan Smith and Govin Nanda in doubles. To me, that that was one of my favorite doubles teams to watch. And I thought they were fantastic. I would put them together at number one. I, I really would. I mean, I know I know what the thought process is. I know you want to split them and see if you can pick up a couple of wins there. But, man, I think they can be such a dominant team. I would leave them together at one. But I still haven't seen enough to where – because, again, I, I still don't know how confident I really am in the depth. Gruskin at four, five, and six. You mentioned all the options down there, but if we're talking like the elite teams, the top eight to 10 teams in the country, when we get to tournament time, I don't know if UCLA poses a massive major upset alert threat. Could they win a couple points? Yeah, Keegan Smith can beat anybody. Govinanda can beat anybody. After that, I don't know how much of a threat they are to the absolute best teams in the country. We'll see. Let's wait a couple of weeks and do, you know, throughout the rest of their schedule. And maybe, you know, we'll see come tournament time. 
Chris, that's where fi- I'm at right now. No, that that's a fair approximation. Chris, your final thoughts on Stanford, USC, UCLA, the action out in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, I I think we just have to wait and see on Stanford. I think they'll be fine. Uh, UCLA, I'm not so sure that I think they're better. I kind of I I don't know exactly where I had them, but I had them in like a right around a 16, you know, 15, 16. Then I'm I'm not sure yet whether they're going to be. Certainly, they're dangerous to beat teams above that because of what they have. But over the long haul, I still think that's fairly close to where they are. Yeah, I think that's I, again. I I like this UCLA team. I happen to know a bunch of the players, so I will fully admit to being biased towards them. But I just think they've got a bunch of fighters. Like those are guys who are match tough, and it's not we're going to win an NCAA championship and steal those sorts of victories. Match tough, but it's a hey, no one's going to beat us four zero. No one's going to steamroll us because we are going to fight in a bunch of matches. And we may, if you fall asleep at the wheel for even 10 minutes against this UCLA team, they can jump on you. They almost did it to USC. They did it here to Stanford. A great win for the Bruins. Yeah, I just want to see a healthy USC. Like, just show me the Trojans lineup healthy once. Like, I just want to see them flex their muscles because you know when they do, we'll get the text from Coach Macy, Chris. Being like, do you see us flex our muscles? Like, we were flexing on them. And I'm like, oh, my God, Coach, don't talk like that. But anyways, I want to stick in the Pac-12 momentarily because I'll give them credit. This is all. This has been one of Chris's pet schools since the start of the season. When I say pet schools, I mean one he's, like, always saying, keep your eye on them, keep your eye on them, keep your eye on them. We're going to stick with the theme of the Pac-12. Arizona, 5-2 loss to Baylor this weekend. Obviously, you know, they didn't get a win either against Texas, who they played close once again, but end up losing 4-3. But I like this Arizona team, Chris. I I, I mean, you know, between Zeverts, Mel Bassick, and Gustav Strom, that's a good top three. They can compete with anyone. Yeah, I mean, they are... They're legit challenging for, you know, in a normal year, I'll say in a normal year where the top 16 host, they're legit challenging to host. But this year it's more, it's not necessarily top 16 host, but yeah, they're a legit team. That's, that's kind of, they're right there in that same area. And yeah, they, uh, they, they've shown not only do they have some good stuff up top, but they've got some guys at the bottom that can battle. I mean, if you're battling, with Spencer Furman at six, you've got a good six. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, he's, they're solid top to bottom. And, and yeah, I, I like that team. They've, they've done some really good things there, coach. You know, uh, it's, I, I can't complain. I think we had Arizona, Arizona state almost right together um, in, in the rankings, Arizona state, you know, they lost the match to VCU. I think Arizona's a little bit, some, a little more solid, a little, you know, one through six all the way down. Uh, they're going to compete better. But that, yeah, that's a, a really good team that's going to be interesting to see where they fit after, you know, trying to, in, well, who knows if it's after, but you kind of think you got, you think you've got USC, hopefully by the end of the season, a Stanford team there and UCLA. Arizona competing at the UCLA level? Are they, you know, where are they? Is I, I think that's the question. Yeah. Oh. Well, and what I noticed. I was going to say, Maddie, because they played the Bears this weekend. You must have watched closely. I watched very closely. And I, the one thing that I've noticed throughout this season with Arizona, 
they have to improve their doubles because they are finding themselves having to win four singles matches and they are a scrappy group. Like I watch these guys very closely. Like Chris mentioned, I like them top to bottom. I think they're very solid throughout the lineup. They're going to fight and they're good players. They really are. They can put a scare into the best teams. Um, and I watched Baylor play them doubles though. Like it's always going to be an uphill battle when you're down one Oh in every single match, when you're playing like a top, 15 to 20 team, top 25 team, and you're always fighting from behind, right? You're always losing that dubs point. And I think that's what Arizona struggled with. And, and I don't mean just them losing doubles points. Like I watched them play doubles points. They all serve in volley a lot. It looks like it's coached and it kind of gets them in trouble. Like I like it, but at the same time, if it's not working, maybe you need to switch it up because the results haven't been there. That would be the one thing. If you're coaching this Arizona team, head coach Clancy Shields, you know, I would just really want to hammer down the doubles because if Arizona can find a way to win doubles points, they have a good chance to split and mm. find three singles points against almost anybody. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, you look again in their matches they played this weekend. Yes, they dropped them both, but against Baylor, uh, it was a three-set match between Mel Basic and Soto. Gustav Strom gets a three-set win over Sven La, and, you know, they're, just, they're competitive everywhere. Uh, and so I agree with you in the next match they played against Texas and Texas was without Waldy, but you know, Zverts beats Spaziri, Strom, a win over Harper in three sets and they can just, yeah, they're, they're tricky everywhere. I agree with you. If I'm a team, I don't want to see any part of any Arizona school prior to the round of 16. Like I don't want them in my first two rounds. If they pull off an upset and I see them in the sweet 16, great, but I want no part of either of those Arizona schools quickly on texas maddie all they do is play four three matches now at least they win them but all they do is play four three matches well they do and you know that's that's not necessarily a bad thing right come postseason play because if they get in a tight match they're going to be right in that familiar territory. It's almost good for them to kind of go through some of these battles like this during the season, because when it comes down to it, they're not going to freak out. They're not going to be intimidated if they find themselves in a close 3-2, 3-3 match where it comes down to the final court. They've shown that they have the ability to pull those off all year long. So yeah, for Texas, they just continue to roll. And I mean, you know, they were missing some guys as well. Waldeeb um, didn't play, I don't think, this past weekend or maybe played doubles but not singles. So even they were missing a guy here and there. Um, yeah, still just a, a dangerous team because if it's a tight match, they know how to pull them off. Yeah, and again, uh, we will have the chance to see them still play, I believe, USC, UCLA, and Stanford. So both Arizona teams going to get tested. Uh, excuse me, those are the Arizona teams. For Texas, we still have the chance to see them play TCU again. Uh, they're going to play Baylor again. It's, you know, hopefully they get Waldy back. But, I mean, we said it from the beginning, Braswell. Spaziri, Chichi Huang, uh, Jacob Bullard, all those guys. They've got a ton of talent down in Austin. Still my front runners to win the 2023 NCAA title. But 
We saved it for a little bit later on today's show. We're going to quickly and finally rip through the SEC results we saw over the past week. And just a quick clarification from these past few shows. You know, we give a lot of grief to the teams at the bottom of the SEC, in particular uh, a school down in Fayetteville by the name of Arkansas. But if you're in the SEC conference, let's just be clear. You're inherently a top 65 team. Like if the NCAA tournament was held purely on the merits of let's get the 64 best teams across the country each and every season, every SEC team would make it. I mean, we talked about the problems with the rankings. You know who's going to have no problems with the rankings? All of the SEC teams who will be just fine. And if they win, will play themselves into the NCAA tournament. That being said, we're a podcast. We have to poke fun at schools. If we didn't poke fun, if we were nice to everyone, I always get mad at Matt and Chris. I shouldn't say I get mad at them. They have to hear me get mad at myself. Chris in particular, I'll call him and I'll be like, how can I say this player's bad? Like, I know his family. I've met his mother. And Chris is like, I know, man. Like, this is the job. And like, that is part of the job, just to be cleared. So anyone who gets offended by some of the things we say, A, I think that's just part of my charm. I apologize, folks. But B, in terms of SEC schools in particular, we're a bit facetious. All of these schools are some of the top 65 schools in the country. And there's a chance the SEC has the best school in the country right now, as Florida just continues to roll. 7-0 victory for them over TCU. They get victories at the number two and three doubles position. Riffis and Bali clinching with a 10-8 breaker at two doubles. And then they drop one set in their six singles victories. It's Bicknell, a three-set win over Sander Jong, which, by the way, that's a hell of a win for Bicknell. But straight set wins across the board everywhere else. Maddie, you sent a text this week. It was when we thought UNC was going to lose that Florida was going to be your number one team in the country. Now, UNC not losing, I assume they're still at number one. But Florida's played like the best team in the country since the end of the national indoors. Yeah, they have. I mean, there is an argument to make them number one anyway, just yeah. off of how they're playing right now. I mean, based on what I've seen out of Carolina recently and what I'm seeing out of Florida, I think if those two teams match up right now, Florida could absolutely win that match and knock off North Carolina. I could totally see that happening, especially if it was in Gainesville. But um, yeah, no, Florida's been just fantastic. They really are. They're finding their groove um, really throughout the lineup. And I think once, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but once we've gotten the lineup, you know, to the point where, okay, we kind of know who's going to be in here four, five, and six, what's working they've started to roll. And I think everybody's kind of feeling comfortable, you know, in their spots. And um, it just, it seems to be working. I'll call him out. They, no more the Inglitson. No more Inglitson. He's not playing four singles for them anymore. It's McNally. I didn't it's say that. Yeah, but I'll say it. It's fine. It's a podcast. We can still say the facts. If Johannes Inglitson was playing. He is no longer playing. That is the, that is the tangible change. Well, you said that, Gruskin. I didn't say that. I like <laughs> Johannes Singleton. I don't know what you're talking I like about. Great too. doubles player, by the way. Um, anyway, what I was going to say was, hopefully, Florida isn't peaking too early, right? Yes. And I don't know if we've that's seen case, this act before. Exactly. We've seen it before, and then we get to the postseason, and it's like, oh, we have. We're, there's a little bit of a letdown. I really hope that that's not the case here. Again, we'll just have to see. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, I've, uh, that's, that was beautiful, by the way, Maddie. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, Chris, Florida, 7 over TCU. Now we know how banged up TCU has been. And as we're recording this podcast, and we're going to try and stall, that's why we might go a little longer today. Don't worry, we're not actually going to try and stall, Maddie, but Texas AM and TCU right now playing as we're recording. Val Vashro had a chance to serve for the match at one singles, but Alistair Gray ended up getting the break back, actually fought off a break point match point to hold 4 3 5, then broke Vashro for 4 5. Now it's 2 all in the third set there. Also 4 3 Famba. He just fought off two break points at the number two singles position. Those are your last two matches on. Shout out to Noah Schachter and Pierce Rollins. Two great wins at three and four over Jirasek and Jung. And then Texas AM took the doubles point as well as the number, I believe, or as well as, uh, yeah, three and four singles. And then TCU Paralek Fernley wins at five and six. We'll come back to that a little bit later because that's another SEC question. But again, Chris, when you look at Florida, their dominance here over a TCU team that has struggled of late, but is still obviously a team we know is going to be in the mix come May. Your thoughts on the Gators? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, you know, I, I feel almost like M Maddie's a little closer to Baylor than I am to Florida. See how he's got actual blood relatives there, but you know, I, I've got a lot of a, a lot of closeness with that Florida program, and it's it's hard for me to not say they look like the best team in the country right now. I mean, they look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make them number one, but they look like they could be the best team in the country right now. I mean, they're, they are firing on all cylinders. They seem to have found a lineup that's working really well for them. I'm very interested to see how long, um, you know, if it's the rest of the season and if we, if, if it seems like it's kind of a permanent, uh, you know, fixture with Goodger at six now. I mean, they didn't play him against Florida State, but they didn't need to. I think that's more about getting Greif's playing time in, in matches so that everybody gets continues to play. But uh, for, for the matches that count, I think they've, they've kind of settled in on Goodger. And it's tough, you know, if when you're, when you're three guys fighting for a six spot, every match you play, you feel like if you lose, you're out of the lineup. And, you know, to some extent, you, you kind of want to give a guy a shot, like, hey, this is yours to lose. But if you really play bad, I got to pull you, right? So it's a, it's a tough spot to manage. But I, I like what we've seen from Goodger at six. The, you know, that lineup that they've got, like you said, Bick, Bicknell, Shelton, Goodger, four, five, six, seems to be they've settled on that's working really well. Ingleton at one doubles, uh, two guys that are, you know, effectively now who'd have thunk, you know, a couple of years ago, Ingleton playing top lineup in singles. Now he's a double specialist. Um, but that's a really good doubles, you know, they're, they're winning their doubles points and they're playing great in singles. Yeah. There's, you know, and they've made it through the meat of the sec. So, um, you know, and they got by that TCU match. Now it's basically finish out the sec until the sec tournament. Yeah. And I hope they play Tennessee again, because it's always fun when the Gators and the volunteers share the court. Uh, do you, either of you know what the Ewing theory is? The Patrick Ewing theory? Yes, no, maybe so. If not, look that up when we're done with this podcast and then tell me if Oliver Crawford applies to the Patrick Ewing theory because, honest to God, he might for any of you out there who know what I'm talking about. In terms yeah, of I know a bad coach. No, no, just go look up the Ewing. I'm not going to explain it right now. That's a little nugget for all of you listeners. Well, Otherwise, on, look, Oliver, he's a great player, but I don't know if I want him coach. 
No, it's in addition by subtraction. That's yeah. the Ewing theory. It's like we dropped Patrick Ewing, uh, you know, from the Knicks and they make the final in 2000 or whatever All it was. All of a sudden it's you're like, a better team because you got to yeah. come together. Did we drop Oliver Crawford? And it's like, okay, I think we have our six now. Like we don't have to worry about it anymore. And is that, is there some potentially? No, I'm just messing with you. Again, nope. that's, that's a joke. For the record, Oliver Oliver Crawford knows how big a fan I am of him. I wouldn't if I wasn't comfortable with him. I wouldn't have made that joke. Anyways, he, he wishes he came back now. Yeah. Imagine if he yeah. was. Imagine if he was there. Yeah, still. but but did we say that about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to do that right now. That's that would break my brain. I can't. I can't afford to break my brain right now. But yeah, again, I think for this TCU team, that loss at Florida is one thing. If they lose at Florida and lose at Texas A&M, it becomes another thing. But we'll see how that match finishes out. And again, I'm trying to buy time to have that match finish before we publish our top 10. So in the meantime, I'm going to run through some other SEC results. Let's move next, I suppose, to an SEC-ACC battle. Wake Forest starting to come alive now. 4-3 victory for them over the Georgia Bulldogs. They take a doubles point, 7-6 wins from Estafalu Body at 2, Banthia Thompson at 3. They then get a victory in straight sets from Squire at 1, from Estafalu at 5 before Eduardo Nava. 6-2 in the third. He clinches over Henning at 3. Now, if you're a Georgia fan, at least you're starting to get some of your pieces back, right? At least they're starting to get closer to having a full lineup. It does seem like we found our six for Wake Forest this year. It's interesting that it doesn't feature Tachi or Maroney. But, Maddie, your thoughts on your ACC Demon Deacons getting a big victory here. It's It's been a season of hell from Georgia. Yeah, it has. From I mean, preseason, yeah. pre right, guys? Yeah. We would have thought that this was an absolute banger, right? Wake in Georgia, probably two top 10 teams. I mean, just an absolute dynamite matchup. And now it's like, eh, these two teams are both a little bit underwhelming. You know, they're not what we thought they were going to be. Obviously, for Wake to go on the road and get the win at, at Georgia – that's big for them. Um, you know, great, great job to get the doubles point in two tiebreakers. We know that Wake Forest can struggle in doubles. So for them to pull off two tiebreakers like that, that's big time. Yeah, in, in Georgia, I mean, you just, you look at it and I don't know, these are both two teams that we had pretty high expectations for. I think for good reason, from Wake Forest's perspective, you know, we don't see Tachi, we don't see Maroney, but they're young, right? They're freshmen, and Coach Bresky is deciding to go with experience. Guys that have been there, have done that, have proven that they can win when they need to, you know, like a Kungu, like a Melios, um, Banthia, guys like that, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I probably would do the same thing. For Coach Manny Diaz, He's just got to hope that his team is healthy. And I think they're getting on track to be a little bit more healthy. But, you know, I just – I guess this is not going to be the year for Georgia. I mean, I was thinking that they they were going to be top 10. You know, preseason we had them in our college contender series. Um, it's looking like that may have to be next year. I don't want to – all right, I'm not poking fun at Georgia. I'm poking fun at you two. If you're on this Zoom podcast and you had Michigan ranked ahead of Georgia to start the season, raise your hand. If you had Michigan ranked ahead of Stanford, raise your hand. Oh, just me, guys? You're not going to raise your hand with me? Well, but guess when we what? See, who when also we see the rankings up? come out tomorrow, yeah. we'll actually see where they're ranked. Yeah, well, I was going to say, but who screwed up and completely convinced you guys, like, hey, you have to have Wake Forest at number two? This guy. 
also this guy hand up for me exclusively so again you take the good you take the bad that's half of the fun i think you nailed it there maddie uh, absolutely coach Breskin clearly finding the recipe that he can to win chris i'm pretty sure you're the one who came up with the moniker georgia's having the year from hell just it, it just feels like every break's gone against them yeah i mean at least they've they finally turned it in the you know at the end of end of the weekend but yeah tough match against wake and i think the i think the toughest part for that match in watching it was right it, it comes down to to henning and nava and i love phil henning and i've seen him play a lot eduardo now just pushed him all over the court oh, yeah. there was no i mean that match had nothing to do with philip henning at all the way he was playing it was nava was going to win it or nava was going to lose it but he could he was going to do whatever he wanted and he was either going to miss or he was going to make it but it was all pace from nava all defense from henning and he just couldn't get to the balls nava was hitting somehow you know henning's going to go back and watch that match and go geez man i mean i i somehow i don't know how but i have to be more offensive than that because i i just wasn't in the match in the third set uh he never held serve he got two games, both of them breaks. Uh, and, and that's kind of the way it ended up, much like the same thing that happened to him against Johannes Monday in a third set with Tennessee. So he's he's got some things to look at there. But they did turn around and play UCF in a match that could have really been, you know, turned it into the season from hell. That match was looking like, you know, it was two all, but for all intents and purposes, looked like probably Henning was going to win his match. Gravilius was in trouble in his match, so probably a three-all match. Billy Rose serving 3-4-15-40. He's down three break points to go 3-5, down a break, and probably be the decider to lose the match. He comes back, gets those three points, holds for four-all, breaks and holds, wins the match, and Georgia wins. And that was a big win for them over UCF. Um, but I think, you know... But again, both of these teams, Wake and Georgia, both are in that category where they're not where we thought they were going to be preseason. They're both dangerous for making certainly Orlando for the final 16 and then giving somebody a run for their money in that match to try to make the quarters. Do they realistically, is either team probably going farther than that? It, that's going to be a tough ask, but absolutely they're both still dangerous teams, especially if they're, I mean, and they both suffered from just getting their lineup and being healthy. No, uh, you mentioned it. It was a great bounce back for Georgia to knock off UCF for two. And again, it's not happening this season for the Bulldogs at this point, given how young that roster is, you're building for the future. Every win is valuable heading towards 2022. In terms of the other SEC results, my Mississippi not running, but jogging Rebels, two fantastic wins for them over the past week, 4-3 at Oklahoma State. Then they get another, or I think it was 4-2 at Oklahoma State, and then a 4-3 win at Tulsa, of course, LSU knocked off by Tulane, 6-1 victory for Tulane there. You also had, I believe it was Memphis, 4-3 victory over Alabama, although thankfully for Alabama, they escaped with a 4-3 win over Middle Tennessee. Chris, your thoughts on those results, and then again, your the wrap-up of the rest of the SEC conference last week. Yeah, I mean... I'll say that's a tough weekend for Alabama in split, you know, splitting a pair of four, three matches with 
Middle Tennessee and Memphis, uh, you know, honestly matches, you want to win both of those matches, two good teams. And what that's really done now for Memphis, Memphis beat earlier in the year now with a win over Alabama and, and the way the SEC is going to be valued in the computer rankings, that is a great deal for them. They will cer- they're certainly a lock uh, for the NCAA tournament now, regardless of, I think in recent here, they, it's been a, hey, we need to win that conference tournament that they're not going to do with UCF in the way. Uh, but yeah, th- they should be in for sure. Tulane, just a good team. They, they, you know, they took it to LSU. It was fun to watch, you know, the off weekends for the SEC here where they set up the weekend, right, for makeup, COVID matches, et cetera. So to get to see these schools play some non-conference matches, Florida, Florida State, I mean, that was a blitz. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was a good weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, there were countless other great matches this week. My match of the week, UNC Greensboro, Maddie's hometown squad, 4-3 victory over Gardner-Webb. Shout out to you, Maddie. Um, And I know usually we throw into Chris's corner, and normally we would, but I apologize, Chris, in lieu of your corner. Unless now I can't, you have this look on your face. I feel horrible. Am I missing anything? No, you look good to go. You look good to go. I have the green light from you, so... I want to talk about the week ahead because we were asked on Twitter explicitly, can you guys preview the Michigan-Illinois match? Maddie, I'm going to give you the floor first. We're going to have full rosters. I can guarantee you coming off of a Cleveland semifinal, I told him, hey, man, rest up. You've got a pro career ahead of you. Don't play this weekend. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to play. So there will be Alex Kovacevic for the Illini. To any of you concerned, it's going to be full rosters for both teams. I think it's safe to say Monsi has surpassed Alex Brown. So, you know, in terms of the lineups, I think we know both players now. What the doubles lineup is going to be is certainly a question for Illinois. And we can get that granular if you'd like in a little bit. But, Maddie, do you think that doubles lineup is crucial? Just your thoughts on this match, which, by the way, got moved. It was 6 p.m. Eastern time, now 4 p.m. Eastern time. I know because I got an email about it. I had to move around a podcast. Just so you know, Chris, that match time got moved. 4 p.m. Eastern time, Illini, or Michigan traveling to the Atkins Tennis Center in Champaign. Your thoughts on the match that is essentially a match for the Big Ten title. Yeah, so indoors, uh, outdoors? Depends on the weather. Depends on the weather. See, to me, it makes a big difference. It really does. I think we're Wait, inside if they're favors outside, Michigan. What does that do for the broadcasting? That's a good question. I have to do some inquiring. Yeah, if they're outside... I think that could favor Illinois. I really do. I think Michigan needs to hope that it's inside. And I, I do think Michigan can, can get this done uh, because I trust their doubles a little bit more. I just feel like, again, when you've got that rock-solid Fenty-Seymour combination at one, you've got Andre Styler and Connor Johnston at two. I'm going to lean Michigan winning the doubles point, especially if we're indoors. But even if we're outdoors, probably, I think Illinois hopes it's outdoors. Um, You know, I could see a split of the singles. I I really could. When I look at this, I mean, I favor Andre Styler at the number two position. I probably favor Kova at number one for Illinois. Number three, it's tough to say, right? We're thinking it's going to be Brown and Maloney. Probably at number three. It it will be. It will be. So 
oh man, both of those guys want that to be out. That's a tough one to call. Number three, you look at number four and you say, okay, we've got Seymour and Zeke Clark. You probably lean a little bit towards Zeke and then you go down below that though. I probably like BD at five. I mean, I think this is really going to come down to the wire. I think when I look at this, we're probably looking at a split of the singles, but I'm going to pick Michigan, especially if we're indoors, I'm going to lean Michigan because of the doubles. I really do think they're going to be better in doubles. If this match is outdoors though, and somehow Illinois wins the dubs point, you can book it. I think Illinois is going to win that match for sure. If they're outdoors. Um, I don't see any way that Michigan can win four of the singles matches outside and it would probably be tough even if it was indoors. I just, I don't think Michigan's going to lose dubs. I really don't. So I'll take, I'll go, I'll go Michigan here, 4-3. The, yes. the difference being doubles. I like it. I like it a lot, as you can see on my chest right now. Chris? Close there. It's going to be a good match. No, uh, that's what I like. I just think it's going to be a good match. I, I agree with your assessment, Matty. Chris? I think this match is outdoors for sure. I mean, the weather is well above 50 degrees as of right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so so if that's the case, the only thing that gets it indoors is it rain or winds over 20 miles an hour. So, um, and I don't see, I, I don't see 20, 20 plus mile an hour winds in the forecast, nor do I see rain on Friday yet. I mean, it's a little, we're still three days away. It's tough to say, but as of right now, the rain is, they show rain Thursday and Saturday, not Friday, that could change. But if it's outdoors, um, I'll still, yeah, I, I think I like, uh, I like Michigan at two and three. I like Illinois at one. I like you, Maddie, probably lean Illinois at four. Where I get a little lost and is here is five and six. Like outdoors, is Illinois going to play Kenyatta six outdoors, Gross? I love that you asked me as if I'm Brad Dancer. Uh, knowing a Banchilla and knowing, uh, who am I missing? Hunter Heck. And I know, so here's the thing. The real thing is no way Cliff is playing five. Like, let's just be clear there. Cliff will be playing five singles. Oh, oh he is going to play. hundred percent. When the Illini are healthy, their top five will go uh, Kovacevic, Monsi, Brown, Clark, Cliff. The question is, is it Heck at six? Is it Kenyatta at six? I think he'd go oh, Heck. Then, Heck's then looking heck really good six. of late. I didn't yeah. even see last weekend. Did Cliff play last yeah, weekend? Yeah, Cliff for played. Sure. And, and Cliff's okay. been playing really, really well here. To okay, start so then it's Cliff five, Heck six. Yeah. Uh, okay, if it's outdoors, I'm going to take Illinois 4-3. Matty, I, you have the right to change your opinion. All right, not change it, but but add to it. Yeah, I'm not going to – I I hear where Chris is coming from there. Um, and I would be a little bit more inclined. I do think Illinois, that, that outdoor matchup with Cliff and, and Heck at five and six, that favors them outdoors. Now, indoors, I, I still like Michigan there. I'm going to stick with my – I'm going to stick with my pick of Michigan 4-3 just because I think regardless of where it's played, indoors, outdoors, I think Michigan is better in doubles. I think they win the doubles point. And they'll find three. They'll find three singles matches, whether it's at two, three, and probably either five or six. You know, one of those. I think Michigan gets it done four, three. If it's outdoors, though, 
it could come right down to the wire because Illinois should be pushing to play it outdoors. If I'm Coach Steinberg, I'm saying, hey, I just felt a few drops of rain. What are you talking about? The courts are slick. We got to go indoors. <laughs> what are you talking about here? So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'll stick by my pick no matter what. Michigan 4-3. It's a good pick. Again, they're all good picks. I think I, – I don't think – I am not going to be making a pick for this because I am on the call. I'm on the broadcast. It's for the Illinois Athletic Department. You guys all know my ties to Michigan. I am not going to piss off either of these schools. I want to be there, folks. And if you all want me to be there, you will allow me to not make a pick. I'll say this. Both teams have played their best tennis to start this 2021 college tennis season. Both teams are acutely aware that this is their first time in about a generation of players, so four years, five years, to win a Big Ten title. Uh, obviously, for Michigan, this streak, I think, dates back to 1996. Uh, for Illinois, they won their last title, I want to say 2015, when they split it with the Buckeyes. For Zeke Clark, for Alex Brown, for Kovacevic, this is their last chance to have any shot at a share of the Big Ten title, and they get the Wolverines at home. They'll be ready. But you know who showed up to every big match they've played over the past two seasons? the Michigan Wolverines, dating back to the semifinal run at the National Indoors. This team is the team that ended the losing streak against Ohio State. If you think that doesn't give a Michigan team a confidence boost, you've never watched any sort of Michigan athletics before. So again, I'm expecting a good match. Chris, you are giving me a look. Did you just say, do you know who showed up to every match they've played in the last two years? No, no, no. I've said this is a team that has showed up. No, I haven't I showed up. That, that, that is what you said. So I'm wondering who was in Stillwater. <laughs> That's, no, 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 no. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But it was the, the first out, outdoor at, match. At the first outdoor match last year. You forgot about that one, eh, Gruskin? <laughs> I didn't forget about it. It's not like they played a terrible match. They just got beat on that day. You guys love Oklahoma State, so you can't make fun of me for Michigan losing to Oklahoma State and then simultaneously love Oklahoma State. Those are two contradictory thoughts. Anyways, you see how defensive I've gotten well, right here? I don't love <laughs> Oklahoma State now nearly as much as I did in the preseason. Oklahoma State, I can't say I love them anymore. It's fair. It's it's fair. It's fair. But anyways, the point being, I expect this match to go 4-3. Now, which way it goes probably comes down to whoever wins the doubles point. That would be my prediction. I agree with you, Manny. I think that's a pretty fair assumption to make. Sure, you can say in your head that Kovacevic uh, should be a favorite over Fenty, but we all know Fenty plays his best in the biggest matches. So again, just from top to bottom, Styler versus Monsi, Brown versus Maloney, Seymour versus Clark, that's a million ball rally. If that match ends, I'll be surprised. You know, um, just all of these matchups going to be exciting. Should be a fantastic day of tennis. And of course, that is just one of a bunch of fantastic matches on the weekend you look up and down the board georgia versus kentucky should be a lot of fun arizona state ucla should be a lot of fun smu ucf should be a lot of fun of course you've also got texas usf you've got oklahoma ucf you've also got on sunday north carolina at virginia kentucky at tennessee alabama at a&m you've got arkansas at south carolina ucla at arizona ucf usf playing ranked team just up and down the lineup. Fantastic weekend of college tennis. So I promise you next weekend we may go this long again. But the reason we went this long 
was to buy ourselves time to know the final result of the week. We know it. We're not going to break it down here because this podcast has been long enough, and I don't want Matt to send me anthrax through the mail. 5-2, Texas A&M takes out TCU. A&M getting the doubles point quietly. They may have found a solution at three doubles in the doubles team of Pranav Kumar and Noah Schachter. They've been sneaky good of late. 6-1 victory for them there. Aguilar and Thompson really finding their rhythm. 6-3 victory. And then, as mentioned, AMU sweeps the top four singles position. Vashro in three sets. Aguilar in three sets. Schachter in straights. Then Pierce Rollins 7-6 in the third. You get one minute each. We'll start with you, Maddie. Thoughts on AM's victory. Yeah, this this is a this is a typical AM result here, isn't it, guys? I mean, they show up to the big matches, they play well. Literally, it's the typical some other matches. It's the typical Texas AM, man. Is it a big match, top matchup? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're gonna play well and we're gonna win, baby. But you know, when you play some of the lower ranked teams and they don't get jacked up to play and they end up losing, it's just again, they ride that wave. And we talked about this last week with AM. They're extremely dangerous. They are. This is a team that I'm telling you guys, nobody wants to play come postseason time just because they have far too much talent and they can beat anybody. But, you know, if you're not as great of a team, no, they you can lose to anybody. Wanna play A&M. <laughs> yeah. They can lose to anybody. So, you know, you just, I, you know, if you're one of these teams that isn't consistently ranked, you know, high in the nation, schedule Texas A&M. I mean, you may be able to pull off a win. Uh, but, no, I mean, it's a great result. You know, those home wins, now they've beaten Baylor at home. They've beaten TCU. That's two, probably the two best Big 12 schools. Um yeah, great result for the for the guys down in College Station without Habib once again. Yeah, and it definitely screws up all of the rankings moving forward. Chris, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, ditto what Maddie said. You know, it's tough tough to fit tough to figure these guys with with Habib without Habib. You know, beating teams that are that are really high high ranked. Uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a tough team to rank. I'll say that, but, no. uh, but yeah, I, I definitely a great win for them and a little, I mean, definitely a little disappointing if you're TCU uh, again to, you know, drop now to the, to, you know, two of the top three SEC teams uh, matches in the last week. No, I, again, completely fair points. And, you know, that gets us to our final topic, our top 10 here this week, gentlemen, bring up your rankings, Chris, bring up that draw sheet. Now, when you look at the top 10 this week, here's some teams who are probably not going to be in our top 10. There will be no UCLA. There will be no Wake Forest. There will be no Stanford. There will probably even be no USC in any of our top 10. So that just speaks to still the parody right now, particularly after I would say that number five spot where just any of these teams can beat any of them. And honestly, as we saw from UNC this past weekend, anyone can beat anyone on any given day here in college tennis. That being said, we're going to rapid fire through these rankings once again, gentlemen. So Chris, if you can get your notepad open, I'm going to assume once again, we all have North Carolina at the number one position. Maddie, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it was close, but ultimately I made that move. Chris, did you make that move as well? 
yeah, I have UNC number one. Okay, so we both have you. We all have UNC number one. I kept Virginia at number two. I want the number one team to be traveling to the number two team in the country this week. In my poll, it's a little thing. I know Florida looked great. They got another big win over TCU. But Virginia's also beaten TCU. So give me UVA here in that number two spot. Maddie, I feel like you might have the Gators at two. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah, I have the Gators because I was considering the Gators for number one. Yeah. I, I think this is the – you know, they're playing better than anybody in the country right now. And, um, you know, they, they deserve this spot, in my opinion. Number two. Chris, I think you had them two last week. Do you have them two this week? Who's that, Florida? Yeah. I had them four last week. Okay. Uh, I have the, but I do this week have them number two. Uh, you guys in your group think, yeah, it's not a bad decision. I mean, to be honest, I still have Florida at number four. Uh, I'm not going to punish Baylor for losing a match at Texas A&M when we know Texas A&M and what they're capable of. And it was the second matchup for Baylor against A&M, even though they were without Habib. And, you know, had they not slipped up against A&M, they'd still be our unequivocal number two team, right? And so I'm still going to have them as my number three team behind Virginia, just because I know that, like if Baylor were to play Florida tomorrow, I would pick Baylor just because, again, I, I feel so much more confident about their match calculus versus still the Florida match calculus where I just, I still don't know who's going to win for Florida on any given day. So I have Baylor three, Florida four. I feel like we probably still have the same top four teams, Maddie. No. So I've got, I'm going off the eye test here, Gruskin, Uh, you know, I've got uh, UVA, your Wahoos at number three. Okay. And I have the Tennessee Volunteers okay. at number four. I should have said we, we probably have the same top five because Tennessee's my number five. I assume Baylor's your number five. That would be correct. Okay, so yes, we still have the same. And I still think those five are in a tier of, on their own. UNC's in its own mini tier at the top. But I would say that's your those are your five leaders in the clubhouse right now. I disagree slightly with your order, but that's my tier one. Yeah. I think that's fair. I disagree slightly with your order, but that would be my tier one. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, I feel like you've probably got the same five. Same five in a different order than either one of you two. (laughs) Let me hear it. So I've got Baylor three, Virginia four, Tennessee five. Oh, that's delightful. Yeah, that's that. That means these rankings are actually going to be healthy for once. Um, all right. Yeah, we might have some ties in here. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Let's get to number six now. I've got the Longhorns. It's always four three, but they always come out on top. Give me Texas, Maddie. You shook your head. Yeah, I have I have Texas at number six as well. I had him seven last week, and I'm I have to bump up um, because TCU just lost. So mm-hmm. I'm moving Texas up to number six for me. Same logic for me as well, Chris. Same here. Ditto. All right. Number seven, I have my Wolverines. That might be higher than either of you guys, but still, their only loss is Baylor. I just like, where else can I put them? Maddie? I I, I also have Michigan at number seven, Gross. I do. Uh, feels like a victory. Feels like that's a I lot do. of negotiating over the past six months. Chris, you do too? This is like a double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. That literally, by virtue of having one loss, it's like they're kind of protected. It's like we don't know what a bad Michigan day looks like because they really haven't been exposed on it yet. Yeah, Man. I mean, their one loss is to Baylor. And it was like, a good match. Yeah, it, it was. It was a good match. 
So, yeah, yeah. I mean, no. I, I felt like I was kind of forced to put Michigan at seven, but um, eight, nine, and 10, I think will be interesting here. No, I think we all agree. I have A&M eight, particularly after that win. I think they have to be there. Maddie? Yeah, yeah. I, that's, I do too. Chris? I've got Ohio State at eight. Really? Okay. I'm not going to lie. Ohio State dropped out of my top 10 this week. And it was for petty reasons. It's literally just because I want to say Texas versus uh, Texas. I want to say Illinois, Michigan's a top 10 battle. Like Ohio State's my number 11. And I know they beat Illinois, but Illinois also beat UBA and USC, which are just, you know, better wins than Ohio State has. And I was at that Illinois Ohio State match. It was essentially a 4 3 match. I'm going to put, yeah, I, I don't have Ohio State in my top 10. I just don't. Like that's I mean, my I justification. Can't, I, I can't argue with that. I, I, I think it's very, very possibly I've at, at eight, I've got them overrated, but I don't know. I still, I mean, you know. Yeah. No, it's fair. It's fair. They're all toss-ups at this point. Maddie. They lost to Virginia and Michigan. I don't, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. Well then Maddie, I didn't want to drop TCU out of my top 10 entirely. So I still have them at nine, but that's a hesitant nine. Who's your number 19? TCU. <laughs> Oh, uh, Chris. Who did you have at nine, Gruskin? Also had TCU. Oh, you have TCU at nine. I have Illinois at nine. Wow. So they're my number 10 team, which means you either don't have AM or you don't have TCU. I'm going to guess you don't have TCU in your top 10 anymore. I'm going to guess, Chris, you win AM at 10. Do I know you as well as I think I do? You do. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I get it. Like, what has TCU done since the National Indoor Weekend to be a top 10 team? Like, yeah, they played three, four, three matches. Then, yeah, sweet. You survived against Pepperdine. Like, you dropped matches at AM in Florida. It's harsh, but they ha- they've been really banged up, but they haven't been their best. Like, I can't deny your logic, Chris. So who does Maddie have at 10? I have Ohio State at 10. Okay. So you're still out. Illinois is like you're 11 or you're whatever. That's correct. Illinois would be just on the outside looking in. Yeah, it's fair. Again, we're all relatively in the same ballpark with these teams. It'll be fascinating to see if Stanford, Wake Forest, USC can work their way back in the conversation. Is there any other team outside of the group we talk about? It does feel like we know the teams. Like we've kind of got it down to a list of, I would say, I don't know. 15, 14 relevant teams. I'm willing to cross off Georgia at this point, cross off UCLA. I'm not willing. Okay. I'm going to, you tell me, uh, do we want to do this yet? No. You know what? I'm going to save that for next week. I'm going to save cross off starting next week. We're going to start, you know what we're going to start doing? We're going to start crossing off teams who we think just can't win the national championship. We're going to start crossing them off each week until hopefully come to NCAA tournament. We're down to just one team, but we've hit everything. Over this course of the day, we stalled, we bought time as our first hour and a half or in quite a bit of time. We wanted to flex those muscles for everyone. Maddie, I know you don't have any final thoughts. You look like your final thought is pillow. Chris, any last words for us? I'll, I'll give the, the final, the final top 10 here, but I do have to throw in I, uh, a little shout out. I tweeted out earlier that I had, uh, and for everybody that uh, does follow, uh, follow me in the site and use site uh i put out there earlier in the week that i've now got on the men's side and i'm still working on the women for all d1 teams projected lineups utrs rosters out there 
and the ability for anybody to go in and request a lineup change. So if your favorite team's out there and I'm not keeping up with them changing their lineup, hit the button to request a lineup change, drag and drop them around, hit, you know, hit submit. I'll get it. I'll uh, say, yep, looks legit. And I'll make the change. My first one came in from the boys at Virginia, letting me know that Chris Rodash is now playing three. Shout out to them. And they were very much looking forward to their weekend. Did you just give a Wahoo point. shout out. Yeah. Shout out to the who's always on this podcast. Yeah. I, uh, I even had to tell them like, Hey, you know, I always have to, I don't really hate you guys, but I have to pretend like I do just because Gross and Luke. So, uh, hey, I will say shout out to the Wahoos. With that being said, let's, uh, here's our top 10. Yeah, let's do it. Obviously, number one, North Carolina. Number two, Florida. Number three, Virginia. Four, Baylor. Five, Tennessee. Six, Texas. Seven, Michigan, eight, A&M, nine, holy cow. We've got a tie. We've broken Chris's brain. Let's go. I know. A tie, a tie between teams that some, in both cases, aren't even in the rankings for some of us. Uh, let's see. They're ahead on wood, below wood, wood, below wood. So TCU. Okay. So TCU next. Okay. Oh, uh, what what number is that? What, what That's nine. That? TCU's nine. That was nine, and Ohio State ten. Ohio State number ten. So there you have it. Those are your cracked rackets top ten rankings. One more time, unimpeded. It goes: UNC one, Florida two, UVA three, Baylor four, Tennessee five, Texas six, Michigan seven, A and M eight, TCU nine, and Ohio State ten. Uh, again. We are in a very fun place right now. I will add to that Virginia Cavalier story. There is only one person out there who could ask me to drive them to the airport at 5 a.m. when I had a full day of work ahead of me. And without hesitation, I won't or I will say yes. And of course, that's JC Aragoni, who at the Cleveland Challenger is like, yo, I cannot find a lift to save my life. Can you give me a ride to the airport? And I was like, dude. You're the reason I have this job right now. Of course, I will give you that ride to the airport. But anyways, final note, Michigan, Illinois, outdoors. Going outdoors, official confirmation. That is the plan to play outdoors whenever possible. Do you have a final thought now, Maddie? You made a noise. Ah, oh, man. I almost want to change my. You can't. You have the green slate. You have a free slate. No judgment. I know I do. I know I have it. But at the same time, I kind of want to stick to my guns. God, outdoors. I still feel like this favors Illinois slightly. But you know what? Screw it. I'm still going to ride Michigan 4-3. I'm still going to do it. Let's have a fun weekend, boys. Let's, let's see how this plays out. Let's have a fun weekend indeed. Well, you all know the usual plugs, and I do want to say midway through this podcast, my audio failed on us, so we had to go to the backup. Apologies about that to all of you listeners that it is not up to the usual audio standard, but of course, we weren't going to quit midway through an hour and a half podcast so you guys will just have to deal with it i do apologize to you and of course the super producers max figure daniel westoff who i'm not going to swear because they have a heck of a job to do i would swear if they could find this in the notes but they wouldn't be able to so anyway shout out to them for uh making sure you all have a podcast this week shout out to as always our friends at turn a grip shout out to 
uh, everyone who continues to listen to this podcast, support us here at Crack Rackets. You know the deal. If you need the immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shop Pod. He's at Matt underscore Stack. He's at College Tennis Ranks. And for my wonderful co-hosts, Matt Stokoyak and Chris Heliors, our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner Grip, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, hey. Great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.